Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. And good Sunday evening to you. Mark Roseman, AJ Carter, Ryan Sherman with you this Sunday evening. If you are watching us on the Sportscaster app, no, that's not, a- that's not me. AJ has not that's done not massive me. amounts of steroids sitting next to me. <laughs> that is boxing legend Jerry Cooney. He's live in studio. We are so thrilled to have you here. Hey. Thanks for coming in. Hey. Um, you know, it's a big thrill for us. It's nice to be here back to this nice studio. You guys got nice things over here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, exciting. I left here early. I got here very early today. So I thought maybe we would tape or something, but we don't tape here. We go online. We go live. But, but, but Jerry got to I experience found... our favorite 7-Eleven. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you've heard the stories, and Jerry witnessed it firsthand. I went in there. Right. I mean, I was over there. I didn't go in. I waited outside, but I had a bunch of guys a bunch of guys looking over my car. I'll or tell you that. Or did I get caught at the Long Island Railroad? Jerry, Jerry do you getting... still have your hubcaps? Right. I still have hubcaps. Well, yeah, I mean, I have uh, Mercedes. They like to take those kind of cars. Right, you right. Know what I mean? You don't you shouldn't say that because yeah, yeah. now they know you're here. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> like, right. All right, you know, let's do the actual formal introduction. Joining us now live in studio is the man who won international tournaments in England, Wales, and Scotland, as well as the New York Golden Glove titles. He won the two New York Golden Gloves championships, the 1973 160-sub novice championship and the 1976 heavyweight open championship he trained right here on long island at the huntington athletic club his amateur record consisted of 55 wins and three losses first pro fight february 15 1977 beating billy jackson by a knockout in the first round his rise to fame would continue over the next four years peaking with a first round knockout of ken norton at madison square garden in 1981 improving his record to 25 and 0. He tells his story in a brand new autobiography, Gentleman Jerry. It is a pleasure again to have him here live in studio, the former number one ranked WBC heavyweight contender of the world, the Huntington Mauler himself, Jerry Cooney. Hey, the Mauler, Huntington Mauler. Yeah, the Walt Whitman Mauler. We, 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 we was coming to the Walt Whitman Mauler. You called him the Walt Whitman. Yes. We called him, on the other side of the tracks, we called him the Huntington Mauler. That's where everybody that's hung out in them days. Yeah, that's right. The, the Walt Whitman Mauler. That my father <laughs> built and was, had helped build that place. Cookie Still steak club. <laughs> it's right. good stuff. So, you know, thanks for coming in. But your new book, Gentleman Jerry, A Contender in the Ring, A Champion Recovered, chronicles your legendary boxing career, but it also you know, talks about the challenges and triumphs that you've had as a trauma survivor and your 31 years of sobriety. So what made you, you know, all these years later, write this book now? Because I kind of felt like I was ready. Uh, you know, I had done a lot of work. I had been away from alcohol and trouble and recreational drugs. And I kind of, you know, cleaned up my act a little bit. I, I started to understand what, what went on in my house, why I felt the way I did. I think about how I was in the house I grew up in, hiding in the basement, if he didn't see him, he wasn't going to hurt me, to making it to the heavyweight championship of the world, to be number one in the world, is a phenomenal feat in my book. But growing up, I didn't feel, I felt shame. I'm no good, I failed, you know, good. And it wasn't until now that, in part, in part writing this book, I, I got to see all the great things that I've been through in my life and the places I've been and the people I've met from Frank Sinatra to Bob Hope, you name it. And so I wanted to tell the story. And, you know, I mean, I, I can't, you know, brag. I mean, you got five of them. What the hell is that about? So, so, so how, how, how hard? Not, none of mine right. ever talk about a championship fight. Right. So <laughs> how, how hard was it to sit down and with, with your author, John Grady, and basically open up your life to know that people are going to be reading about this, being 
really intimately about your relationship with your father and your family growing up, and you did this for hopefully thousands and millions of people to read. Well, well, the, the real story and the reason why I really wanted to write it was because I was from Long Island here, and I wanted to fight everybody. I wanted those fights, but Don King owned all those heavyweights, and because I refused to sign with him, he kept me out. So I was in, the, in my heyday where I should have been fighting three, four times a year. I'm fighting once a year. And so that's what my problem was. And the press, and you talked about Wally Matthews before and some of those other people, they were like blinded by the light. They, you know, Wally Matthews once told me, he said, you know, Jerry, when you were number one in the world, he said, I was delivering newspapers. I said, yeah, so what? You know what I mean? Like, that's a problem? What's that about? And so uh, those kind of things, and, and, I, and I lived through it and I experienced it, and I never allowed myself to feel the joy. And through this book, I was able to feel it. And the great part about the book is it's a happy ending and that, uh, you know, we make it through, we get up, we dust off our pants, and we find a way to get to the next place and, and work through it. You know, it's interesting, A.J. mentioned your, your co-author, and your co-author in the book is John Grady, who I found fascinating because he's not an author, okay? He's a licensed professional counselor, licensed in alcohol and drug um, counseling, dual certified supervisor in the mental health and addiction fields. And he described the writing process after each chapter, which I found fascinating, you know, how he sat down. I'm just wondering, having written that with him, how much of this book, because obviously you, you, know, you, you talk about it openly now, how much of the book was therapeutic for you, understanding you know, what went on in your childhood? Well, I mean, the whole thing was therapeutic. I mean, the whole, the whole process was a great experience because it made me dig inside. I remember when I first stopped drinking, I, I talked to a doctor, and he said, when you close your eyes, what do you see? I said, I see a big black hole. And he said, good. He said, now you've got to start going in that hole. And that's what this book is about and about making my way out and standing up and, and, and making it out of the hole and getting to the top and, and, and being successful and having a great family and not making those mistakes my father made with my family. And uh, it's been a great, great process. And plus, a lot of people here in Lyon, they didn't know those, those stories. I, had, I would think about it. I had a bunch of nice girlfriends back in the days that I was unavailable for, but I didn't know it. Like, I couldn't trust, I couldn't feel, I couldn't allow myself to feel, um, you know, scared. I, you know, I was scared of everything. And, and I made believe. And, I, and so a lot of those things got worked out in this book. Uh, uh, you know, and, and listen, we, we find our way through it in life. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that nobody knew. And it's one of those things, especially in society now, even today, more so back then, because, you know, one of the themes that comes through is both the physical and mental abuse you suffered from your father. But to the outside world, everything seemed normal on Holland Street in Huntington Station, where Tony and Eileen Cooney raised you, your three brothers, Thomas Michael um, and, and Stephen, and your two sisters, Eileen and Madeline. You know, from the outside, it looked like the typical strong working class Long Island family. Yeah. You know, you guys went to mass together, you know, always doing chores around the house. From the outside world, that looked like the perfect family. But yeah. obviously, no one ever talked about that back then. Do you think now, if your childhood happened now, do you think teachers might have been more attuned to what was going on or neighbors and someone might have said something or gotten your father counseling? Do you think it might be different if you were born in this generation? I want to tell you one story. Somebody, he came home and put his belt, his ironworker's belt someplace. He went in the garage and it wasn't there. Yes. So he called the four boys in the garage and closed the door behind them and said, okay, who did it? Who did it? I didn't do it, Daddy. I didn't do it, Daddy. I didn't do it, Daddy. And so we had to work it out. You know, everyone would take the blame once the next guy would take the blame. That kind of stuff is, is, is just wrong. 
And unfortunately, that's the best he could do. So I had to forgive him in life. But, you know, it's, uh, it was very tumultuous and also difficult to find my way. I couldn't trust anybody. I had a good friend of mine, Frank uh, Venetian, thank God. He's from Long Island. And when I was 18 years old and I wanted to turn pro, because I also got invited to the finals of the Olympic trials, and I got the phone call, and uh, I told him, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. My father's sick. He said, Jerry, this is the finals of the Olympic trials where the top eight guys go to Colorado. I said, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to make it. He asked me one more time, and I hung up the phone with him. And that was 10% true. 90% was I'm not good enough. I want to make an ass of myself. Uh, why am I going to go there and do that? And I, I missed the biggest opportunity of my life. And, and that's, those are the things that this book talks about where someday I'm going to have a kid where I'm going to make him say, listen, kid, this is important. Now pay attention. Let's get to the next level. That's what the idea of this book was about. And John uh, Grady helped bring it out. I mean, I had to toughen it up. I had a tough life. He, you know, sometimes those therapists make you sound like a wussy, right? <laughs> I was a bad man. I was a bad man. You know, I'm probably jumping way ahead of, of Mark's okay. notes on this. But in, in the book... You do a very, very detailed description, practically blow by blow, of the Holmes fight. Right. So did you, how much of that did you remember? How much did you go back? Did you have to watch films of the fight? No. Remember? How, how did you recreate that, that fight basically second by second? Listen, when you are a fighter and you go in and fight in the ring, I fought Larry Holmes for the heavyweight champs world. I remember every second of it. I remember where I was at, what was going on, how I felt. I remember there was such a bad problem here and, and in the world about racism, and it blew up there. Don King blew it up and all that. Me, I had five or six. I had um, Georgie Munch, Mike Batanti, Jimmy Burbrick, you know, all guys, Gary Gladstone, rest his soul. We had all these guys in camp with us. Listen, I was eating turtle soup, lobster tail. <laughs> you think I was worried about racism? I never heard anything about it, right? I never heard nothing about it. And the only thing I thought about as the fight drew near is I thought to myself, I cannot wait for that belt ring because I'm going to hit him on the chin with the best hook I ever threw. And so then we're in the center of the ring getting instructions from Mills Lane. And Larry Holmes looks at me and says, Jerry, let's have a good fight. I said, what'd you say that for? <laughs> I hated you. I want to knock your ass out. And that's the boxing game. We became friends. We're great friends today. We're together 12, 15, 20 times a year. We always talk to each other. And uh, that's what boxing is about. Now, for me, the book had so many different levels, and, and it was interesting the way it seemed like, in some senses, there were two Jerry Coonies. Like, yeah. <clears throat> your father taught you not to trust people, but yet when you were taking the Long Island Railroad from you know, Long Island into Manhattan to train. I love people. You love people, and, and you had confidence oh. to, to strike up conversations oh, with yeah. strangers. So, but the, but so you did, in some senses, trust people, but there was always in the back of your mind. So it's it paradoxical. So how did you walk that line? It must have been like, I can't imagine the inner torment that is. What it was is it was free. Uh, I was communicating with them. They were communicating with me. And when we left each other, we were better off. I, I enjoyed it. They laughed. We joked. I always get invited back. You know, that's life. And that's the personality I developed. And my brother Michael was a, was a jokester. He was a funny guy. I think I got it from him. But when I, I love people. I love visiting with people. I love spending time with people, with old people. People who call me, my father loved you. I say, do me a favor, call him. And they'll call him, I'll get on the phone with him. <laughs> I, what, 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 look at the life I have. That's the, I get chills telling you this stuff. But I get this every day of my life. I get a chance to do this. So one of the, the questions I had, which, and this is, 
this might sound cold and callous, but I was wondering watch because it, bro. Watch it. I know I'm, I'm yeah. going to take after I ask the question, I'm going to take three steps Run. back. Right. So I know how much you loved your father. No question about it. You know, warts and all, you loved your father. But I didn't love my father. I didn't love my father. I You're on the left side now. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I, couldn't lo- I couldn't love my father. My father was unavailable to love. You know, he built a ring, and my mother used to keep time, and he'd box me, and I couldn't hit him. I could have beat him up, but I couldn't hit him. And he would try and punch me around. And I always thought to myself, you know, I wished I would have hit him with a shot one time and told him. And then I talked to some man who did do that, and he felt terrible the rest of his life. So I'm glad I didn't. But no, my father was, I mean, he, I guess he. So maybe it's not the right word. Thank you. I mean, you, you respect you your, your dad. But so what I, I feared my father. You I feared, feared him. So here's the question. Because I love my father. You grieved his death, obviously. But in some respects, when someone that has been both verbally and physically abusive to you in your life, was it also somewhat of a sense of, it's a horrible thing to ask, but was it also somewhat of a sense of relief when he passed? Well, I, um, Yes, it was it was it was a relief. I mean, I had left the house already, and um, I had to forgive my father. I spent an hour at the at the at the, at the gravesite, and I talked to him and I apologized for my part in it, whatever that was, and I I forgave him. In order for me to move on, that's what I need to do, and that was hard. It took a long time, and you know, I've just been going over it again recently that I need to get a deeper level of that. Because I'm still bitter inside a little bit about, listen, I'm your son. My, I mean, my children, 99% of the world are trying to put my kids down. i got to pick them up. i got the greatest kids in the world, all three of them. And I'm, in, in, in some sense, a lot of times people who grew up in abusive family systems abuse their kids. I love my kids. Every day I tell them, every day I love how much I love them. And that's a gift I got. And, so, and then this, this uh, friend of mine who was a retired cop told me, you know, Jerry, Whatever your father did to you, he gave you the strength to become number one in the world and to learn all about these things. So that's another, you know, way to forgive myself. So there are a lot of things that happened to you over the years, some within your control and some not within your control. What happened after boxing, your bouts with alcoholism and other things, somewhat in your control, and other things that happened probably were not in your control. If there's one thing in your life you would change if you could change it or wish had happened differently, what would it be? I wish somebody could have grabbed me by the arm and said, hey, Cooney, listen, this is for real now. This is a big deal. Let's pay attention. Let's, let's give it a shot. I didn't, I, I didn't allow anybody in. I had two managers that couldn't stand each other. So I, <laughs> the only thing what I did was I had one watch the other, so I saved my money. But I, you know, I never found that person. I wasn't, I, I, couldn't, I wasn't available to find that person. Life was so fast for me and scary that uh, I just had to hold on. And I knew that once I got in that ring, once the bell rang, I was going to hit you. I was going to make you feel my power. And that's what kept me alive. Was that just a release for you? There's a picture in my gym. It's a picture of me, and here's what happens. The, 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 my, you're drawing your dressing opens up, and the guy says, Cooney, you're next. And you go, oh, shit. You're next now. My life is going to be in front of me. So that walk from the dressing room into the ring is the most intense time of your life and then all you care about is that bell to ring once the bell rings i gotta fight so how do you shut out 
that, that feeling of you're not good enough because boxing is all confidence. We've spoken to so many boxers that you, in, you continue and you're undefeated, you feel that sense of invincibility. That first loss, all of a sudden, the next time, it, it's a little bit in the back mm -hmm. of your head. So when you have all these thoughts from your dad, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, how do you shut that out when you're going to the ring? You have, to, you have to wipe that away. You can't pay attention to that. You gotta, you know, I, I'm focused on my three or four fight plans. I'm listening to my trainer. He's he's my my other set of eyes, and I'm just focusing, waiting for that belt to ring. I'm frustrated. I I feel like an like a like an animal. I want to go. I want to I want I want to hit him. I want him to feel see the fear in his eyes. I want to see his expression change, and then I know I'm in, I'm in the right place. So how different is it whether you're fighting? A club fight or your first professional fight in a small group and fighting in Madison Square Garden or fighting in the parking lot of a Las Vegas casino when you have 30,000 people. As opposed to Sunnyside Gardens. Sunnyside Gardens. Yeah. I mean, in terms of being able to block everything out, is there a difference or is, it, or is it much harder the larger the crowd? No. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the same process. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I'm fighting... You know, in Sunnyside Gardens, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's my first pro fight. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to win here. And then fighting Larry Holmes, I had a lot of stuff going. I had a girlfriend who was in a bad car accident, and so we were having some kind of problems and issues. And, you know, so there's always stuff going on, but I got to chase that out of my brain. And I got to pray, and I got to pray, and, and, and stay focused and on getting in that ring and waiting for the belt to ring. You, you mentioned your, your two trainers, your two managers, but they introduced you to a guy who you mentioned you never found that guy. How close to that guy that you can trust and that, you know, directed you was Victor Valley? Victor Valley came from a similar background like me. He left Puerto Rico when he was a young kid. He didn't have a father. So he had a lot of anger in him too, but we, we kind of hit it off with each other right off the bat. I mean, I first went to Custom Auto, and I was an hour late for the meeting. He was saying, you're an hour late to see me. I said, listen, bro, the train was late. It's not me. I didn't like him right there. I, I got rid of him. And Victor was uh, the man because he taught me. He made me a great trainer. I'm a great trainer today. I know, I know what, the, what the deal is. I know the defense is the most important thing. You got to stay away from, you know, the power. You know, I learned that whole process through this, this thing. And he was like a, a surrogate father, you know, figure for me. So, he, as, so as a trainer now and, and through your experiences and, and now, you know, coming up and then back down and then, here we are, but you talked about how it was like a you know a release once you got to that point of just getting in the ring, but a release in almost a negative way, where how can like the boxers these days, if you're training them, have that be something positive and then get out of the ring and they don't need to go seek other ways to help themselves? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, uh, it's getting to know each other. I mean, I, I work with kids today and troubled kids, and I tell them, listen, I love you, and I know you want to play basketball, you want to be a fighter, but you're going to have to, if that doesn't work, you've got to have something to fall back on. And so education is a great thing today that most managers and most trainers, uh, they don't want the, the fighter to get educated because That's once they get educated, they're yeah. gone. So or they could be the next trainers, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, that was like, it's a process that you have to trust the guys. You have to help educate them, understand what the contract means, what they're fighting for, how much expenses. You need to learn all that. We never did that. You know, we've talked a lot with other boxers about how boxing used to be the way out of the slums, out of you know the, the ghetto, and, and that was the way to get out of you know. It still, is. It still is. The biggest one was so, Jake Lamada talking about so, it. Yeah. Well, that, that was that was a tough interview. Yeah. Remember. <laughs> so what happens when you see kids today? First of all, where are the kids? What type of kids are coming to you 
to box, and what do you tell them? Well, I mean, I have a assortment. I have a gym, uh, Jerry Cooney's Boxing Academy in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, and we get little kids. We get. I got a kid the other Saturday in Hoboken who's six years old. I taught him for half an hour. He was picking everything up. He had that sense at six years old. He could pick it up, which is very hard. It's hard to keep him focused. Then you have little older kids. I have two, two, a boy and a girl now that are ten, that are phenomenal fighters, and now they have to get into the next level. They got to box, and so I have that grown-ups. I I trained a pro before, and so it's. It's really unbelievable, but it's a magic you see in the person's eyes. They have this look in their eye that I'm going to work it out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get there where I got to get to. You got to create the opening, and then you got to land. And when you do, you got a little smile on your face like, I got you. I got you, bro. That's a great, great feeling. Let's circle back a little bit back in, into the book. Um, you, you mentioned, Victor, and, and you trained at Gleason's gym as a young fighter. Walking into that gym with great. so much history, what's the first thing? Like, do you feel like it's almost like you've made it? You're in the mecca of the boxing world when you're training at Gleason's gym, right? Well, let me tell you something. You know, it was hard. I had four or five sparring partners that each one's what you know, I'm in there with one, the three or four other guys are watching where they're going to find to get me, right? So, I mean, it makes that's how you get better as a fighter. We had guys like Holmes come in when I was. 21 years old, Duran, Ali, I mean, everybody <laughs> yeah. who'd been anybody had been Camacho, and so that was magic. It was magic to be there, and then to be a part of it, but realistic, what it comes down to is it's hard work. I take my training from Long Island, I get to the gym, I get dressed, I get downstairs, I gotta go to work, and then I come catch my train, where I have oh, so much fun driving on the bar car with these guys playing poker, <laughs> sometimes working myself in, and having the time of my life putting people on. Wow, the bar car. People but, haven't but, heard but, that. So, I, yo. I can interrupt for, for one second. Those of you who know the Jets are playing the Cowboys, 43 seconds left. Don't tell they, me. Wait, wait, the Cowboys come down, they score a touchdown, it's 24-22, the Jets stop them on the two-point two conversion. conversion. to win the game, yeah. Well, the game's still on, so yeah, they've got 43 seconds left. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They'll, they'll clock no, this There's is the onside want, kick, but it's... Yeah. I want to also want to tell you guys, I'm a very big Jet fan. I love to see that because I've been very disappointed for a lot of years. Bill Parcells was there. I thought, wow, we got, we got yeah. some magic. And then he left, and now to see this, Donald, you guys talking about it's, it is great. Yeah, especially yeah. today. So, you know, people of a certain age, you know, will love the books, look back at the boxing, over and above your personal, you know, issues. You know, um, the great names of the heavyweight division of the 70s and, and how they shaped your rise within the division. June of 1980, you faced the first of many big names of that era, and that's Jimmy Young, who in 1976 wow. took Muhammad Ali the distance 15 rounds before losing on the decision. Ali's victory in that fight was by all accounts a gift from the judges right. because Young really you know, looked much quicker and smarter, him. and he hit hard. I mean, he hit hard. What did that fight mean to you in sense of your career, and what do you remember of that, about that well, fight? Gil Clancy said it that night when I knocked Jimmy Young out in four rounds. He said, I just made it to the top of the world. And, and, and what that meant was Jimmy Young, nobody looked good against Jimmy Young. No. He was so awkward. He had nine wins in a row when I fought him. And I, I was playing, I was testing him, testing him. And every time I throw a hook, he's blocking, trying to get the block. But he was leaving his insides wide open. So I turned the hook into an uppercut, and I split him between the eyes. And so <laughs> when that happened, when I was split between the eyes, it's over. 
and they wound up stopping him in four rounds. It was a $100,000 payday at that time for a little kid. It was like, I don't know, 22. It was like, I felt like Isthmus. You know what that is? Isthmus be my lucky day. <laughs> so then just five months later, you fight another one of those name fighters, and that's Ron Lyle. And he had fought well against two champions, Ali and Foreman. Before that fight, right, which is, is very interesting, your mom got a very interesting call from one of those two yes. fighters. Who was it, and what did she tell your mom? No, my mother got a phone call from Muhammad Ali, and he said, don't worry, your son's going to be fine. Mm. And that's who Muhammad Ali was. He had a, I remember the first time I saw Muhammad Ali at the airport, he had a glow about him walking down, down the airport. It was amazing. And I sat with him at the, uh, at the UN building for a boxing convention, and we hit it off so well. I had just bought a place in the Hampton. I said, Muhammad, you got to come to my house in the Hampton. You know what he told me? All right, I will. That was a pretty good Ali. Wow. That was good. But, but what happened was, I figured to myself, I'm 21 years old. I said, how am I going to take care of all these people? I'm going to have 30, 40 people. What am I going to do? I wound up canceling it. Can you oh, believe yeah. that? Oh, no. But, you know, that's, that's you know experience for you. For me, the, the, if no one has ever seen a Jerry Cooney fight, younger people, you know, there's YouTube. For me, the one that defined just your raw strength and power was against Ken Norton. You go and you watch that fight. You know, 1981, you slam Norton with a devastating right on the side of his head. You follow that with a deadly left hook, which snapped Norton's head back. And then there's maybe nine to ten shots in a row, and the fight is stopped in the first round. I've watched that fight several times. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Have you gone back and watched your fights? And if so, which of the ones would you point to someone that's never seen you fight as the one that you would want to put in a time capsule and say, this is what Jerry Cooney, the boxer, was. Well, you know, Jimmy Young was a big fight for me because that was a really big step up for me. Um, obviously, Kenny Norton was a big fight. Listen, in losing to Holmes in 1982, was a, I was in that fight the whole time. Now, i got to understand, I was drinking through the whole year. I wasn't taking care of myself as I should. I think what happened was the pressure of growing up in the household I did you know, no no confidence. You're not going to make it. You can't do this. Got to me, and booze took away that pain. And so little did I know, it got me. I watched it get Jerry Quarry. I watched it get other people. I never thought it was going to get me, and it did before I knew it. And so that night, I fought Larry Holmes. I got stopped in the 13th round. It was a great time. A lot of stuff was going on in my life, too. And uh, And so, you know, listen, looking back, had I won that fight... I probably wouldn't be here with you guys today because life was so fast and so hectic. I mean, I had a, I had a phone in my room from President Reagan was in my room. Unfortunately, I didn't win, so I didn't get the call. The, 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 the owner of the president of Caesars wanted to fly me to his daughter's graduation. You know, all these things were going on. It was just phenomenal. And so, uh, you know, maybe I'm here today and I can talk about it. I remember I, I saved my money. I... I have a great family today. I made some mistakes. I tried to clean up the wreckage from my past and get, get all my life. And this is part of that as well. And this book is about, yes, we have to look at it. We have to work through it, and then we can let it go and be free. It's interesting that you point that fight because the book also chronicles that tremendous fall off you know, <laughs> after that fight and, and, and the escapism and you know, your attempts prior a few times to get sober. What... What finally clicked for you? It was just one time. I, I mean, I, I uh, listen. When I got out, finished that Holmes fight with all the racism and the problems that was going on there, and my management, 
and uh, how I felt like I failed the people. Because I, I remember running through Huntington, the Huntington Recreation, be beeping the horn at me, you know, the you know construction crews. I had it made. You're you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated with you know uh, uh, time, Sylvester Stallone, time right? Life, time life, time life, oh, Sylvester Stallone. Ow, ow, ow. Right, because Holmes refused to be on the cover. Right? No, no, that was another issue of Sports yeah, Illustrated so where they wanted to put me on the cover and they wanted to put him inside, right. and he was mad, so they put me on the cover and they drew him in. On the inside, but anyway, that's all going over with. We're best of friends today. We're the that's greatest right. friends, and I, and I love the guy, and and we uh, get to enjoy life, build each other up. He told me one time, you know, Jerry, you make me a better person. I thought, wow, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, and I try to make everybody a better person in my life. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help those people that are less fortunate than me, and and I get the opportunity to do that because of my experience. Because of my background, that I get a chance to do that, and what a great feeling it is! I don't get paid for it, you know. I don't tell nobody about it. It's great, man. We walk away smiling, they're hugging me. Who's got it better than me? So, you take a look at the heavyweight division and boxing. People follow boxing largely because of success of a fighter in the heavyweight division. You know, people follow some of the lighter weight classes. They but did. Really, what makes what what has to happen now? to get boxing back, where will the next great heavyweight come like a Mike Tyson that people want to follow, for better or worse? You want to see him win, you want to see him lose. Can I tell you something? So boxing was on ABC, NBC, CBS. All the kids could watch it. Yep. It was amateur boxing in the United uh, States. was great. I remember watching every Friday night. We were great. Channel 7. Like, right, even, like even the lower, like for me, yeah. I even remember Oscar Bonavena. Like you right. remembered every, it yeah. was like almost like baseball oh, cards. You remember all can those I finish my? Can I finish yeah. my answer? Whoa! <laughs> I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. You know, listen. Got the left on that side. Listen to me. I'm just like these guys. We got the radio face now, bro. TV's gone. So, so I mean, listen. That just threw me off. That threw me off. We're talking about what it's going to take to get boxing. Yeah. Well, listen. So, okay. So, so then boxing got raped and robbed by by Don King and some of the other guys in the business, and and people got the soft, got the. Uh, ripped off and robbed. So a lot of those guys that would have took to boxing went to basketball, baseball, football, and whatever else they went to. Now it's back, but but us guys, I am, but you guys are not back caught up in it. The zone is big. Bob Barron is big on ESPN, ESPN Plus. Yes, ESPN we Plus, got yeah. uh, Dela. We have uh, Dela Hoya. We have, uh, yeah. you know, we have, yeah. the, uh, we have uh, the Bella. We have, you know, so many guys. And boxing is getting the, the problem is we have to get them together. So they're all separated in different promotional companies. We got to get them together. And what happened was Anthony Joshua got stopped by Andy Ruiz. Mm. And Bob Bram said, hey, you know what? There's a $100 million fight out here between Fury and Wilder. We got to make that fight before one of these guys loses. Mm-hmm. So now they're starting to come together again. What? And you got to follow. You go, I tell everybody, put boxing scene on your, on your front page on your computer. Put um, ESPN boxing and follow a couple of stories. These guys are great today. So, so is, is it a good thing? They took about $100 million fights. A lot of that is pay-per-view. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that if you've got a fight, a great fight you're promoting, to watch it at home, you have to pay $75 or $100? Or should there be some way of getting a fight like that on, even on radio? I'm mean, going to remember fights, listening to fights live on radio. You don't hear right. a lot of that anymore. Should there be more more 
top fights, not you know, up and comers and things like is that. It? There are that you can get. You know, no, there are. There, Listen, I mean, the ESPN. Is, 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 I mean, is, is it good or bad that the, that you, know, you have to pay seventy five dollars? Listen, watch ESPN Plus is four ninety five. Okay. You have the Zone is nine ninety five. Right. Those put on the majority of great yeah. fights now. Sometimes there's going to be Showtime. They're going to put yeah. pay view on. It's only normal. So listen, so I'm, I'm sitting home. I don't make a lot of money. I work three jobs, say, yeah. and I got a, this big fight I want to see. So I have four of my friends come over, yeah. and he pays 10, and you pay 10. Yeah. Pay 10. I've done something like that. Right. In my generation of, of someone who grew up without, you know, all the, the freeze, radio, right. the ABCs yeah. that see it, it was always pay-per-view. But when a big fight came, like the big ones, right. so you mentioned how it's awesome now that ESPN airs some of those amateur or even smaller ones, yeah. and everyone gets to see but if I wanted to watch a fight, it was who's coming over because we need to put ten dollars, ten dollars, and ten. And what's wrong with that? I'm, I'm, no, watch, I'm, I'm right, watching a great fun. fight with my friends. Yeah, it was great. So, so how much <laughs> did the 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 Merriweather and you know uh, that was a circus. The MMA, that was right. a circus. How yeah. much does that damage the yeah. the sport? McGregor. McGregor. I, I think I think it, it hasn't really. Um, it, it's helped fans from MMA come over to boxing. Maybe it's boxing fans come over to MMA. So in the long run, it works out fine. I mean, it was a showcase. They put it on. I mean, Mayweather... Uh, um, no, uh, oh. Mayweather and uh, Pacquiao. Pacquiao. took five years to happen. Right, yeah. Yeah. And Pacquiao was, could never match up to Mayweather. Yeah. Although you take Mayweather, you put him in there with Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, or Roberto Duran, they eat him alive. He just came at the right time and is a great promoter. So, listen, boxing is going to fall down. It's going to take its shots. It's going to get its black guys. You know, Saturday night, someone fought. He's in a coma. A tough kid. He's, he's, he's not doing too well. These things happen in the game, and we got to be more careful. We have to pay attention. But as someone, so what, what, do you, what do you think about MMA versus boxing? Personally, me, I think it's, you know, I, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's brutal. I mean, and they wrestle each other on the floor. I mean, yeah. Yeah. so, I mean, if you're going to get a boxing guy, put him in the boxing ring with an MMA guy, the MMA guy's always going to get his ass kicked. But if you put him in the cage, I mean, you know, you don't see really any boxers getting in a cage. Yeah. We have. We saw uh, Ray Mercer did, James Tony did, a couple of guys did. But basically, Algerian. the boxer's not going to get and in the ring with MMA. A lot of them cross over. Algerian Weidman are two guys yeah. that have done that. Kickboxing, yeah. 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 So, anyway, it's, it's, you know, you're not going to see that. And I think that there's enough room for people to be able to. People are smart. Fans are smart enough to understand what's going on there. Now, you've been working at Sirius XM Radio with, um, Randy, you know, Gordon. with Randy Gordon on Monday and Fridays. Yes. During your time there, have you seen the spike in interest during the time you've been there from when you started to now? Has boxing started to pick up again? You know, MMA was going crazy back then when I first started 11 years ago, 12 years ago there. And... Uh, but MMA is, in my opinion, is not boxing. Boxing I agree. is great. Yeah, we agree. And but back then, what MMA did is it forced boxing to correct itself. So we had fights back then; they were all mismatches. Mm. And the final, you put the final good fight up, but all the other fights are mismatches. So now, because of MMA, it forced boxing to correct itself. We're seeing better fights, and we got tons of talent. I mean, you can't believe the light heavyweight division. You've got eight, ten guys in the light heavyweight division that are super fantastic fighters. The heavyweight division is big coming back between all these guys. Joshua Wilder, Fury, yeah, Ruiz. Fury, yeah. I mean, you got, uh, I mean, Joe Joyce. you got these couple of guys from Africa that are phenomenal. you got, uh, you know, Lomachenko, who's a, a lightweight moving yeah, up. Yeah. I want to see him fight Pacquiao. 
because Pacquiao is still dangerous enough. To, he, he, can't get down, <laughs> he can't get down to 35, but he's powerful enough to knock. Lomachenko gets hit as he's moving up. He, as he gets hit, he's getting hurt more often. So this is a perfect fight for him. I talked to Bob Arum about that. He said, Jerry, I'm going to have to pay you for that. You, <laughs> you made that fight. I haven't got any checks yet. but <laughs> You mentioned the $100 million fight, and then also you mentioned the three coming up. You mentioned uh, Mayweather and Pacquiao and how that happened a few years late. So with your experience and you've been in those meetings, like, how do we avoid these fights happening too late? Well, let me tell you something. So Is it greed? That happened five years too late, but look what they did. They it broke all still, the numbers. No, yeah. yeah. People waited for it. People waited and see it. They didn't have a press conference. They announced it on, on Instagram or whatever, however they did it, and it did phenomenal numbers. So there's a lot of magic out there for us. We can do a lot of different things, and we're going to see a lot of great things, but you got to follow it again. The, the older generation's got to kick back and pay attention, read some of the stories, follow some of the great guys that are out there, and there's a lot of them. Listen, we got Errol Spence, just was in a terrible auto accident. Listen to this. He was going over 100 miles an hour in, in the Maserati, or I think whatever it is he owns, and he went through the windshield. He lost a couple of teeth, did not break any bones. You think God, God was with him in that night. So that guy's a terrific fighter. You got... You know, so many great different divisions out there that you got to pay attention to and, uh, and, and look at them. And, and a guy like that, and you, you circle back years ago, the one that generated interest was, that was Vinny Pazienza, who was in the right. accident and then trained with the halo right. and made that comeback, and I that can't. was a story. You know, I see him, and he's a wild man, right? <laughs> and I, th- I remember, seeing him, I remember yeah. seeing him with the screws sticking yeah. out of his neck. Yep. And then you think about, listen, when he gets to be 50 or 55, can you imagine the sniff- stiffness he's going to oh. have in his neck? Yeah. Damn, he's going to be calling me up to loosen up his neck with my left hook. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's circle back circle to, to back. the you end of the book. You guys. All right. Um, April 21st, 1988, what does that date mean to you? It means to me that uh, I got a start, a, a life. I finally stood up. I, I was with a friend of mine, Georgie Munch, who took, George, drove me to my office. I said, let's stop at the Pancake House to get something to eat. And there was a great friend of mine there, Jack Brunette, New York. He was a, he was a bodyguard for me. And, he, and I went in the place, and he told me, sit down with him. I sat at the table. He said, Jerry, I haven't had a drink in three years. You never have to drink again. Now, I heard that a thousand times, at least. I didn't hear it like that. And that was the last time I took a drink. And mm-hmm. I've been cleaning it out. I, I worked on myself. I, I got some therapy. I, 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 you know, found out what was making me trip up. And, you know, here's a story. I used to get up, get dressed, walk down the street. I'd fall in the hole. And I'd go about my day. I'd dust myself off. Next day, I got up. I got dressed. I walked down the street. I fell in the hole. I banged my arm up. It was killing me for the day. Next day, I got up. I got dressed. I walked down the street. I fell in the hole. And I had to realize that I got to travel a different route. I got to find a different way. And that was what I was blessed with. And, you know, God came into my life and made me aware of what was going on. And that I have such a great life. And that because of this great life I have, listen, I got to get back on track and that's what I've been doing ever since and the good thing about having 31 years is you have 31 years the bad thing about 31 years is that you get old <laughs> you think about that bro wow. damn it, it is a great it's book and it's, it's also you know it's I love the ending. I love the ending because listen we fight we fight we fall down we dust off our bed we get up we fight we fight we jump over the fence we get there that, that's so funny you said that and I didn't put it in my interview but it was something that stuck with me uh, let me see, um, as I'm flipping the pages, it was one of the lead-ins to one of your chapters. It was just uh, two or three lines, all right? So this is, this is, that you said this, this is what brings this home for me. 
I had a great career. I had a lot of fun, a lot of troubles. I want to talk about what happened and maybe change some things for today's fighters, hopefully help people out along the way. Right. And that's what this book does. And, and that's, and that's that people, not just fighters, right, people, people and people's lives. We and all struggle. It, and not only that, it, alcoholism and drug addiction is not, you know, it, it affects everybody. everybody. And right. listen, and people working two or three jobs a day and they're figuring it out and they can't get over and they're struggling. This is a book to let you understand that we can't make it. Thank you. Where can people get the book? Uh, BarnesandNoble.com, um, Amazon.com, your local bookstores. And uh, listen, I, I appreciate you having This is a great interview. I, I love being with you guys. Let me wait, tell you wait. something. It was a pain in the ass coming out of you guys. <laughs> I was stuck I was in like, traffic. Was it worth it? The, the worst was, thing you want to do is piss off Jerry Cody. I was, I was stuck in traffic coming all the way out of here. But it's been the greatest day. I, I love this day. Real we, lot of fun. You have an open invitation to truth. come here whenever you want. And we told the truth, and yes, you can't go wrong. So thank you, bro. Jerry, thank Love you. Love you, baby. Love thank you so much. Love you too, bro. Love you. All right.